from South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on December 11th, 2023, from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. This is our eighth episode, which looks at all things related to the upcoming 2024 Republican presidential primary. Our previous episodes have looked at the people and places that make up the Republican Party here, why the state is so important in this process, and how to campaign in the Palmetto State as well as the unsavory parts of the campaigning process, and why we love to hate polls. You can find all of those episodes on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org and SCETV.org slash SC2024. And of course, the lead loves hearing from you all. That's why we have a voicemail box set up at 803-563-7169. Give us a shout. Let us know what you're up to. The new year is right around the corner, which means election year. Tell us what's on your minds, 803-563-7169. And of course, like all of our SC2024 episodes, we don't have a wind down in this one. So stay tuned for our next episode. about deep dives on this podcast series, and this episode will be no different. Two weeks ago, we looked at the history and lessons of the 2008 GOP primary. Today, we're looking at the 2012 primary. And maybe you guessed it, but spoiler, in January, we'll take you back to the 2016 campaign, which really explained the 2020 race and explains a lot about the 2024 race. But more on that next year in 2024. And a side note, we didn't really think that the chummy banter between me and my co-host slash pilot slash maybe one day she steals my podcast. Wait, what podcast? My on. Fellow reporter Mayan Schechter was warranted on the last episode, but we know you missed it. So we're bringing it back, baby. Mayan, take it away. The episode that is not the podcast. Long ago in 2012, when I was but a small child, Gavin, at the University of North Carolina, Asheville, and had no idea that I would be moving to South Carolina yet, a man by the name of Newt Gingrich upended South Carolina's streamlined history of picking the GOP nominee for president. I'm Newt Gingrich, and I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States because I believe we can return America to hope an opportunity, to full employment, to real security, to an American energy program, to a balanced budget. I worked with President Ronald Reagan in a very difficult period. We got jobs created again, Americans proud of America, and the Soviet Union disappeared. As Speaker of the House, I worked to reform welfare, to balance the budget, to control spending, to cut taxes, to create economic growth. Thank you, C-SPAN. As one person to another person with a unique name, who was Newt? Newt Gingrich, aside from unique names, we actually do have something else in common. We both hail from the great same state, Georgia. However, unlike me, Newt was a former United States House Speaker. He led the 94 Republican Revolution that also resulted in massive turnover in legislatures across the nation. And... In the House, Gingrich constantly went head-to-head with then-President Bill Clinton, and he became a national name when he led the impeachment proceedings against Clinton over perjury allegations in the Monica Lewinsky affair scandal. He left Congress 
in the late 90s amid ethics issues, and there were some congressional midterm losses. On the personal side, he also dealt with his own personal issues. His third wife, Callista, was also the former U.S. ambassador to the Holy See. But let's talk about the 2000s, mainly 2010 to 2012. In 2010, we had the rise of the Tea Party movement, along with it the rise of uh, a handful of Republicans like Nikki Haley and Newt Gingrich, of course. In 2011, Osama bin Laden was killed, Steve Jobs died, so did North Korean leader Kim Jong-il. We're heading in the direction of the Arab Spring. Prince William also married now Princess Kate Middleton. Yes, Gavin, I looked all this up. So, of course, throughout all these big historical moments, we have a presidential election because why not? So let me set the stage. President Barack Obama is up for a second term and Republicans are set on ensuring he only lasts one. Now, by my count, at least 11 Republicans filed to run in the GOB primary. They include Gingrich, of course. You have Mitt Romney, the former Massachusetts governor who now serves in the U.S. Senate but is retiring. You have former House Speaker Paul Ryan, former Texas Governor Rick Perry, the late Herman Cain, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, another Tea Party person. And the list goes on. And the South Carolina GOP at that time was led by Chad Connolly, and they're gearing up, Gavin, to do what they've done historically for years. Pick a president. Well, there were so many notable names in that GOP clown car that you listed. I could just imagine everyone jammed in there saying, turn right here. <laughs> Next up, South Carolina. Also included in that clown car, that list we should say, was Rick Santorum, a former U.S. senator, and John Huntsman, a former Utah governor, and Ron Paul, a former U.S. congressman. So a lot of people in that race. So many high-profile names, but it seemed like Mitt Romney was really the guy to beat in this race. Remember, we talked about him in that 2008 episode with him and McCain. So courtesy of the PBS NewsHour, here's Mitt Romney launching his 2012 bid. Who is it that rules this great nation? You do. Every four years, you decide who it is that's going to give the State of the Union address. Who will set the course for the country? Who will be the commander-in-chief? And what's true right here in New Hampshire, on this farm, has always been true in America. Though each of us comes from very different backgrounds, though each of us has chosen to walk a different path in life, we are united by one great, overwhelming passion. We love America. We believe in America. Now, Romney was pretty popular. He had been successful outside of politics in polls. We, we love to hate the polls, remember? But the polls had Romney in first. Really, the race was his to win. But bringing it back to South Carolina, Romney even caught the endorsement of then-governor Nikki Haley. Here's Rob Godfrey, Haley's then-spokesman. She was an unbelievably effective surrogate. We even traveled with him up to New Hampshire at one point, which was a which was a memorable trip where she did so well, greeting phone bankers, serving as a surrogate at a debate. Unlike Romney at the time, who told Fox News the endorsement would make, quote, an enormous difference in the primary, several threw cold water on it, including state GOP consultant Wesley Donahue, who worked for Michelle Bachman's campaign at the time and was quoted in a political piece then calling it a, quote, nothing burger didn't work out for Michelle Bachman. But still, that's not what we're here for. <laughs> and now, if you're a poll lover, like myself, like my hun, more than a poll hater, other people, polls in South Carolina started to agree with Donahue. Here's then-state GOP chairman Chad Conley on C-SPAN's Washington Journal, which aired January 21st, 2012, the same day as the state's primary. 
Well, you know, uh, I've been saying since New Hampshire that uh, anyone who tries to put this state in a box and uh, determine based on just polling instead of being on the ground and looking at what's going on is probably going to be off. It's sort of like there's a national message already written, and so I know people are reading that in national papers and on the press, and it's just hard to do that and put it in a box without being here, seeing what's going on on the ground, and watching the surges go back and forth. So to me, this is a typical primary season. I think you really can't call it until right at the end, and even then it may surprise you because it depends on turnout and who gets their voters to go to the polls. If you truly don't know what happened in the 2012 South Carolina GOP primary and really want to be shocked, then maybe mute what I say next or cover your ears. But spoiler alert, Romney did not win the South Carolina Republican primary. So what the heck happened, South Carolina? We pick nominees. Remember? Run it back, AT. It's the first Republican presidential debate, May 5th, 2011, at the Peace Center in Greenville. Father's Pizza and radio talk show host, Tim Pawlenty of Minnesota, who served two full terms as that state's governor, Rick Santorum, former U.S. representative and two-term senator from Pennsylvania, and Gary Johnson, businessman and former two-term governor of New Mexico. Normally, Washington Post Karen Tumulty wrote at the time, the first debate of the presidential primary season serves as a starting gun. The one that will take place Thursday night could sound more like a distress call. <gasps> Oof, Karen. Like any debate, candidates got their licks in, some made headlines. It was the official start to the primary season. A few days later, the subject of our episode, Newt Gingrich, entered the race. But not too far behind is when Gingrich's primary troubles began to develop. Danielle Cybercombs writes in The Last Standing, Media Framing in the 2012 Republican Primaries. Pretty decent book. She writes, Concerns always surrounded Gingrich's ability to run a disciplined, effective campaign. And not long after he declared his candidacy, Gingrich, she writes, questioned Paul Ryan's Medicare plan on Meet the Press. That did not go well. Then there was some fallout related to he and his wife's personal credit account at a high-end jewelry store. But then in early June, almost all of Gingrich's campaign team quit, including his campaign manager and a South Carolina consultant, Caton Dawson. Rick Tyler, a Gingrich spokesman who was part of that cohort, told ABC News then that the leadership team bolted largely because Gingrich refused to campaign aggressively. But Gingrich stayed in the race. Here's Reed Wilson, then editor-in-chief of National Journal's Hotline, speaking on C-SPAN's Washington Journal. Well, Newt Gingrich uh, had a, a real rocky rollout a couple of weeks ago when he announced his campaign. Uh, he, he sort of uh, announced and then unannounced and then reannounced and, and took these staggered steps. It was probably the worst rollout we've seen of the 2008 cycle so far, uh, sorry, the 2012 cycle so far. Uh, and then he promptly went on a two-week vacation to the Greek islands. Uh, this is not exactly the way you run for president. This is a, uh, you know, it's, it's a position that's a, or rather being a candidate is a, is a full-time job. It's something you throw yourself into headlong. Uh, and Newt Gingrich didn't look like he was willing to do put in that sort of grassroots effort uh, to go to Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, press the flesh, and try to actually woo some voters. So uh, a lot of his uh, a lot of his campaign staff yesterday, including his campaign manager, his top strategist, uh, his his top advisors in Iowa and South Carolina, uh, as well as his spokesman, uh, all up and left. 
a lot of them had just come on to the to the campaign uh, just recently. But I think it's most telling that uh, that the spokesman Rick Tyler uh, and the uh, and the South Carolina advisor Caton Dawson uh, left. Both had advised Newt Gingrich for a significant number of years, and their departure uh, really signals that this this uh, sort of disapproval of of the way he was going to run a presidential campaign ran very deep. We love having that C-SPAN archive for <laughs> these purposes. Now, fast forward a bit through more debates and more candidates finding themselves in the headlines, some starting to rise, some starting to fizzle out. But Gingrich holds strong. He stays in there and he starts to get his moment, appearing as a front runner in a handful of polls. Romney, however, was clearly having his moment as well. So, too, was Rick Santorum. Now it was finally South Carolina's turn in a race for voters, in particular the conservative evangelical bloc. In the days leading up to the South Carolina GOP presidential primary, there were two debates in South Carolina. My gosh, two? Uh? Wow. The first hosted by Fox News, the second by CNN. Both created opportunities for Gingrich. I guess two debates because, I mean, social media was really not what it is now. People needed the mainstream news. Now, Fox News went first to Myrtle Beach, where moderator Juan Williams, who is black, asked Gingrich a question about race. Speaker Gingrich, you recently said black Americans should demand jobs, not food stamps. You also said poor kids lack a strong work ethic and proposed having them work as janitors in their schools. Can't you see that this is viewed at a minimum as insulting to all Americans, but particularly to black Americans? No, I don't see that. The second moment may have perhaps catapulted Gingrich to that January 21st, 2012 win and given future Republican presidential candidates an outline in their own races and how they deal with tough questions as well as the media. Sound familiar? Yes. I know, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But Gingrich's ex-wife gave an interview to ABC News prior to the debate, where she said Gingrich wanted a, quote, open marriage. It resulted in this first question asked by CNN's John King at the South Carolina debate. As you know, your ex-wife gave an interview to ABC News and another interview at the Washington Post, and this story has now gone viral on the Internet. In it, she says that you came to her in 1999, at a time when you were having an affair she says you asked her, sir, to enter into an open marriage. Would you like to take some time to respond to that? No, but I will. I think, I think the destructive, vicious, negative nature of much of the news media makes it harder to govern this country, harder to attract decent people to run for public office. And I am appalled that you would begin a presidential debate on a topic like that. Millions watched and heard that response, and Gingrich didn't only receive applause from the audience, he received a standing ovation. So it sounds like a slam dunk moment there. Here's Walt Wetzel, a South Carolina Republican consultant who worked on Rick Perry's 2012 campaign. The other thing about presidential campaigns, and this, is, this has happened routinely, undecideds grow up to election day, which is a little bit different than most campaigns. It's quantifiable. You can go back and look at this. And there was an exit poll in 2012. You know, when did you decide who to vote for? And a majority, not a plurality, a majority of South Carolina Republicans in 2012 say they say they made their decision in the last 72 hours. Two days later, Gingrich won South Carolina with about 40 percent of a vote. 
But everybody was nice to us, everywhere. And I just want to say that I think South Carolina showed Southern hospitality as beautifully as any place we've been. It was a huge win for Gingrich, considering his campaign, Gavin, was, like, flailing before it really started. But this is not a happy ending story for Newt Gingrich's political career. Gingrich would win his home state of Georgia, but he'd lose to Santorum in Alabama and Mississippi days later. South Carolina and Georgia actually were the only states he'd win. Today, I'm suspending the campaign. But suspending the campaign does not mean suspending citizenship. Callista and I are committed to be active citizens. We owe it to America. We owe it to Maggie and Robert. On May 2nd, 2012, about a year after the 2012 race officially launched, Gingrich was done, unable to beat Santorum or Romney's campaigns, which had much larger campaign war chests, as voters started to move toward a Romney nomination. And that's exactly what happened. Romney would go on to become the Republican nominee, but he would fall to then-President Barack Obama, who secured a second term. So what happened? Like we were asking earlier, how did this happen? South Carolina picks nominees. And the second question is, should Gingrich's race tell us anything? Here's Rob Godfrey again. There was a debate moment, uh, an interaction that Newt Gingrich had with Juan Williams that really was an emotional outcry, kind of a grievance, one that almost kind of foreshadowed what we saw in terms of uh, grievance and emotional outcries four years later with with Donald Trump. And um, it was like overnight, Newt Gingrich was a sensation. And he was able to uh, capitalize on that heading into the South Carolina primary. And he won. It ended up being an aberration. It ended up being just kind of a bump in the road for the Romney campaign. Gingrich obviously ended up conceding and suspending his campaign. And Mitt Romney went on to be the nominee. And South Carolina didn't have as good seats at the convention or a hotel in the host city. And that's the only time that the nominee of the party hasn't won the South Carolina primary. Gavin, you asked Rob whether South Carolina was maybe a bit ahead of its time. Trump, of course, when he entered the race in 2016, was such a unique candidate and in some ways similar to Gingrich. He was able to tap into this interesting relationship with the media that other candidates were unable to do. And he was also able to use a television audience to his advantage and publicly express grievances that people at home could actually relate to. Here's what Rob said. Donald Trump tapped into um, something, uh, obviously, across the country with Republican primary voters, um, and particularly in South Carolina, a discontent with the, with the political establishment, a discontent with institutions, and with what he calls a rigged system. Um, and he was able to channel that into energy that obviously already existed. And we could have an academic discussion about when that started in South Carolina. Some of that energy probably started here with the conversation about things like comprehensive immigration reform and stuff like that. But Donald Trump was able to channel that beginning with some of his... Um, appearances at the Tea Party organization in Myrtle Beach just a couple of years before he became the nominee. And so South Carolina probably was on the early side of foreshadowing a Donald Trump nomination. And it's just interesting to think about, too, Mayan, that we saw Santorum win Iowa and then Romney win New Hampshire. And then 
Gingrich wins South Carolina. So we did, again, like you said, do our role in clearing the field and picking the nominee. So quite the mashup there in 2012. And it's also interesting to think about how 2012 was, again, somewhat of a precursor to 2016. You know, that huge field and then someone who just kind of came in and dominated. That's a little bit of a different story, though. And we won't get ahead of ourselves because next episode we will talk about 2016 and all things Donald Trump and how he took the state by storm in a race with 19 people. That's clown cars at that point. And then we'll give you everything you need to know about the 2024 candidates and how to vote in the February 24th primary because you'll be listening to that 2016 episode in January 2024. Iowa will be happening, New Hampshire will be happening, and then it will be the race to South Carolina. Yes. Yeah, it's all happening, folks. And you can stay up to date by subscribing to the South Carolina Lead Podcast wherever you find podcasts. And we'll have a couple more of these 2024 designated episodes every other Tuesday. Again, you can find the 2016 episode on January 2nd, 2024. And you can find out more about the primary, the latest news from the trail, and more at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org and SCETV.org slash SC2024, your home for campaign 2024 coverage. Thanks for listening to the pod, y'all. You can always show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or voicemail at 803-563-7169. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Yes. Go back. Yes.